This is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. It's Thursday, April 16th. This episode is devoted to one of the country's most essential industries, agriculture. It is teetering, even though grocery sales have surged. Workers have contracted the virus at Smithfield, one of the world's largest pork processors. Three plants in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Kudahe, Wisconsin, and Martin City, Missouri are now shuttered. Those plants supplied more than 130 million servings of pork per week. Ranchers are also suffering, with prices for cattle and hogs down by a third to half. Meat sales to restaurants and schools have vanished. We now turn to two Republicans on the House Agriculture Committee to tell us more. First, Jim Hagedorn of Minnesota. Well, welcome to the show, Congressman Hagedorn. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you. You represent a southern Minnesota district that sits on the Iowa border. What's the situation for farmers and ranchers there since these lockdowns began? Yeah, our district's all the way from South Dakota border to Wisconsin, and then Iowa up 80 miles, 21 counties, heavily agriculture, a lot of livestock production. So what, what happened uh, when we started with the kind of the shutdowns across the country is uh, a, a lot of restaurants closed. And of course, the uh, demand for, for meat, especially prime cuts, uh, was down along with a lot of other agricultural goods. So uh, demand is down and there's still, there's no place to take your, take your uh, cattle and hogs to market. It's, it's getting pretty rough. So the markets are depressed. Our farmers need help. Well, all of us are going to the grocery and we're finding long lines and some hoarding. There was retail data yesterday that said that grocery sales were up. But for farmers and ranchers, it doesn't mean that their sales are up because we've got restaurants closed, we've got schools closed, both of which are big buyers of meat. Um, yes, it is. And when, when you think about our hog operators here, we, we have a, the second most uh, hogs in any congressional district in the country. And about 75,000 hogs go to market every day, if you can believe that. But... Um, you're, you're looking at usually you have 30% exported, 40% consumed in homes, and another 30% or so consumed in restaurants. And the markets for, for livestock, especially hogs and cattle, just go through the floor. Some of our operators are losing as much as $50 a head per pig. And then on the cattle side, you're losing three to $400 per steer. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. You have a proposal to help, I know. Can you explain to our listeners what you'd like the government to do? So we're working with Secretary Perdue and uh, the Trump administration and other folks in Congress to try to come up with a kind of a risk management tool that uh, livestock farmers could utilize. And it would, it would go something like this. I mean, uh, predating the coronavirus uh, outbreak or the, the when we started shutting down the country, uh, you know, mark a price point there and go back maybe three or five years and have an average cost of production. And that from that point forward, as, uh, as pig and and cattle folks uh, sell into that market, they'd be made, that difference would be made up. And the reason I think this works is it, it just, like I said, if you sell into the market and you're losing, you need help. But if the market rebounds after we open back the country and get people back in restaurants and things like that, then uh, they won't need any help. So I'm trying to minimize risk to the taxpayers, 
but also make sure that our that our operators here are, are taken care of. Is that something that the Trump administration can do, that Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue can do, or would it take an act of Congress? Well, I think it, at a minimum, it's going to take uh, appropriations language to make sure that the, that that account would be uh, kind of made whole for that, and then it would direct the money to be spent in that in that way. So we do think that there's some some room there that administratively they could put the put that program together. Um, the one good thing about what we're talking about is it would have both short-term and long-term effect. You could use it for, to try to bridge the gap here with the coronavirus outbreak and how it's affected our livestock markets. But in the future, we could utilize it in case there was ever an outbreak of an infectious disease, uh, for instance, African swine fever. So uh, we'll keep at it. I think there's going to be a package coming out by the administration probably this week. Uh, I don't know if our proposal will be included in that because I think this first this first round is using commodity credit corporation money to try to help as many farmers as possible to, to you know, quote unquote, stop the economic bleeding and uh, keep people afloat until we can get uh, more permanent solutions. Are the ranchers in your district worried at all about contracting the virus? Uh, are they having any troubles because of that? Are they getting the workers they need, for example? So on the farms, it's not so bad, you know, as far as attracting the workers and keeping the farms going. But where we end up uh, with a bottleneck, of course, is at the packing plant uh, for both beef and, and pork. And so the major packing plant in Sioux Falls closed, a couple more in Missouri. And, uh, you know, it starts to back up operations. And different, you know, commodities are, you know, can be stored. If you have corn or soybeans, you can put them in a bin. It's not always advantageous economically to do that, but you, at least you can store them, you know, with, with pigs and and cattle, there's no place to go. And especially in the hog, hog uh, the way things are put together there, you know, it, it's really, it just has to keep rolling. And if any part of the, the kind of the system breaks down, it really becomes a problem. So we're ending up with a, a lot of excess capacity, a lot of, a lot of extra hogs. Uh, we fear that we'll get to the point where they, they, uh, they might, they might need to be put down and, and not even use the food because uh, of the way this is going. If the aid from the government does not come through, what could be the repercussions for ranchers in your district? Well, the repercussions, uh, whenever you start losing family farmers, they're pretty tough, especially in our small communities. I always say when, when family farmers sell out, they usually sell out to bigger operators, and bigger operators are not bad people, but it means fewer people working our land and living in our communities, going to our schools, and it, it really puts enormous pressure on our smaller rural towns. So, you know, and then of course there's the direct economic impact where people could go out of business, could lose a lot of money, and then that money's not spent in our, on our main streets and things like that. So, it, it look as far as the livestock producers and many others, you know, we have problems with ethanol right now, pretty much across the board. Uh, it, they're on the brink, and and I, I tell people it's it's a dire situation. And to think. You know, a month ago, for instance, our dairy, or you know, six months ago, our dairy farmers were really starting to round into form. Milk was twenty bucks at the end of the year, and now now it's down to thirteen and a half. But just like that, the floor just dropped uh, out from under our farmers. Congressman Hagedorn, that's very sobering. We appreciate you coming on our show. You bet. We're going to keep working to keep our people sustained and maintain our way of life and protect our food supply. It's very important. Thanks for having me. And now joining us is Dusty Johnson, the lone House member from South Dakota, who represents the large Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls. 
Welcome to the show, Congressman Johnson. We appreciate you joining us this morning. Yeah, well, it's been, I mean, obviously, we're living in really uncertain times, and the more information we can get out there, the more insight, uh, the better for all of us. Does the closure of Smithfield's plant in Sioux Falls forebode a food shortage in America? Well, and I'll, I'll put a, number one, I, I think you're right to highlight how important this issue is. And I want to put a little finer point on this, a lot of meat. I mean, it, it, it is a lot of protein. I mean, we're talking about 130 million servings of pork, uh, pork a week. And you're talking about 6% of the nation's uh, pork processing capacity. So this is a really big deal. And it's not the only plant uh, that has been shut down. I mean, there's also a plant in, in Iowa. I believe it's a beef plant that uh, has also shut down. And you know, we don't have shortages now. And, and I don't think we're going to get there. But this should reiterate to all Americans how important it is that we keep as much of this capacity open uh, that to the extent they've got to get shut down for public health reasons. We do everything we can from a rapid testing and sanitation and screening as people go into the plant. That We do everything we can to try to make sure that these things are brought online safely but expeditiously. So the, the Smithfield case, I think, is alarming because its plants aren't unique. I mean, these plants have lots of workers. They're working in close quarters. How do we keep those workers safe so this sort of thing doesn't happen elsewhere? Well, there are a series of best practices that, that plants have put into place. And I think the reason you haven't seen more of these outbreaks, because you're right, these work environments would otherwise be really conducive to the spread of disease, or they could be. Because you are dealing with, you know, 3,800 employees is not an unusual number at some of these, these plants. But the reason we, we haven't seen more outbreaks is that a lot of the plants have been very aggressive in putting into place practices that try to stop that transmission. Uh, you know, obviously, personal protective equipment is important. Screens, you know, plexiglass screens between certain workstations, uh, adjusting the flow of work so that there's more distance between workers, screening them, taking temperatures as people come, come in, be more aggressive and educating and communicating with employees about what symptoms uh, might uh, look and feel like. Those are the kinds of best practices that you've got to have in any kind of truly essential business, whether that's a healthcare facility or a place that is helping to you know, provide Americans access to food. You're seeing, I think, some discussion of how perhaps rural areas should be treated differently than urban ones where the spread of the disease is much easier because people are in close quarters where the density of living is higher. Are people in South Dakota thinking along those lines that maybe they need a different approach to reopening the economy than, say, New York? Well, clearly they're very different environments, and it wouldn't surprise me if there were different best practices put into place. But, you know, I wouldn't want to overstate that fact either. I mean, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, the, the, the flu can devastate, uh, uh, really any infectious disease can devastate uh, rural areas as they can de devastate urban ones. And so, so many of the good rules of thumb are universal. I mean, it does make sense, uh, you know, not to shake hands during the worst uh, portions of flu season. And that, that is, uh, that is a, a rule of thumb that it has been very easily transferable to COVID-19. Social distancing always makes sense. And, and you know, we, we, we wouldn't want rural areas to get too lax on some of these things that can save lives. You're the ranking Republican on the House Agriculture Committee's panel that oversees the food stamps program. There's been some talk about a need to increase the size of the monthly benefit, the maximum monthly benefit. What's your thinking on that? 
Well, we do want to make sure that you know people's nutritional needs are taken care of, and I think that's what you saw very early on. And in fact, you know, long before the CARES Act was passed, I mean, I guess it was only a week, but it felt like long before the CARES Act was passed. The second package that Congress passed had massive new investments in nutrition. Uh, for all kinds of vulnerable populations from, you know, tribal populations to, you know, school-age children to seniors. We have wanted to make sure that people get fed. Uh, you know, it's a part of the puzzle, right? I mean, as Americans get, uh, as 80 million Americans a couple days ago got their direct support payment, uh, as, as many of them are receiving uh, increased unemployment benefits, as many of them are able to keep their jobs because of the Paycheck Protection Act, we want to make sure we've got a comprehensive view at how are people's nutritional needs being met. And, you know, it, it may well be that additional SNAP, fund, SNAP funding is, is a key part of that. Yeah, I think people were scared with those photographs of miles and miles of cars waiting at uh, food banks for, for handouts um, for free food and thinking that perhaps the government needed to do more on this area. Your area, you're saying that that potentially could be in an, in an upcoming package to do more. Well, and I also think that it, so many of these solution sets are interrelated. I mean, we have been asking uh, USDA to make a, a billion dollars in pork purchases. That, I think, will help uh, soft prices in the agricultural industry. At the same time, uh, that, that valuable protein can be provided to people who need it most. And I think that's why, and, and I do view myself as a leader, both in, in the SNAP world and being an advocate for food stamps, as well as being an advocate for farmers and ranchers. And this is an area where, you know, Senator Thune and I have worked really hard, you know, regularly with a number of letters to call attention to these issues to the administration. I mean, last week we submitted, we had a letter with more than 100 uh, Congress uh, members of Congress signatures and more than 40 senator signatures talking about how tough things are in, in the cattle industry. And, and absolutely, we, we have got a lot of work to do. The good news is some of these solutions can benefit multiple stakeholders. Senator John Thune, the, the senator from your state. Well, Congressman Johnson, we appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. That's our CQ on Congress coronavirus special report on agriculture. We'll be back later today with another update. For all of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, I'm Sean Zeller.